And welcome back to another episode of the Total Sports Live podcast. This is Jovan Alford, and you already know who I'm joined by, my guy, Harrison Brown. We're about to talk about and break down the NFL draft, which happened last week in Kansas City. Your Philadelphia Eagles were busy during draft weekend. They made two first-round picks. They picked up a veteran running back on day three. They added to the quarterback room. They drafted some more Georgia Bulldogs. And then they made some more pickups and signings after the draft in the UDFA period. So we're going to talk about all that here um, on the podcast as well. However, before we do that, make sure you're following us um, on Twitter at Total Sports Live. Make sure you're checking out TotalSportsLive.com. Make sure you're checking out Harrison's Substack as well. If you're not subscribed to that, you're missing out on some fire newsletters if you're asking me. So make sure you're checking that out. It's harrisonbrownrusso.substack.com, right? Yep. yep there we go. Me. Yep. So make sure you're hitting that good old subscribe button because I'm subscribed. And if you're not subscribed, then we got a problem. So, again, if you're looking for some NFL draft content to read on Substack, make sure you are subscribed to that newsletter right now while you're listening to this podcast. Go ahead and do it. Uh, we're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and lastly, you know, on any of your platforms. So anywhere you get your um your your podcast, you can download it and listen to it there. You can also check out the all the video version of this podcast on Harrison's YouTube channel uh, at Harrison Brown Russo. So all you gotta do is go search it on YouTube. Again, same thing as a new as a newsletter. Making we're making the connection here. News once you hit subscribe on the newsletter, then you go subscribe over to YouTube page. Do both of those things, you'll be tapped into everything that Harrison does. And also uh, to this podcast. But Harrison, glad to be talking to you, breaking down the draft. It was a very long, I don't want to say arduous process, a very fun process to go through uh, over these last few, fewer, um, last fewer months. So, uh, so how are you doing and how are you feeling about the 2023 NFL draft now in the books? Well, I'm great after those plugs, man. Appreciate you for the for the shout outs. You know, I'm good, though. Like you said, you know, it's been a long process for the draft. It's it's a process of love. You work on it for months. You start to learn all these prospects. It's it's really fun to see where everybody lands. You know, you've been watching these guys since the fall and the summer for some of them, some of the bigger name guys and some of the guys that I've just in particular been a fan of or maybe covered in the college football ranks and, and watched live for a few years. You know, guys like Andre Yosevas at Princeton. Been a fan of him since that 2021 season. Real cool to see him land with the Bengals. So, yeah, you know, it's cool to see these guys finally land in their spots, see where the, the quarterbacks are going, see where Bryce Young is going now to Carolina, mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson. You know, we've been watching these guys scrutinizing every throw they make, every pro day throw they make. So to finally get the landing spots, it's real rewarding for, you know, a lot of months of, of watching film and just going through the process. So, yeah, you know, it's cool to see it finally, you know, play out and it, it's cool to see who the Eagles wind up with. The Eagles wind up with a real strong class. Like you mentioned, these Georgia Bulldogs, you know, they keep coming in. Now it's five from that wow. 2021 defense, that historic defense. Crazy to say, but not a bad theory. I'm, I'm not mad at the theory. You know, it certainly it has to play out in the NFL. It has to play out to fruition where they have some similar success to what they had at Georgia. But mm-hmm. it's a good idea in theory to add the best players from one of the best college football defenses ever. So, you know, it's definitely – a great time of year now that the draft is over. We're that much closer to football, one step closer. So looking forward to talking tonight. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. To get to get five Georgia Bulldogs from that defense over the last two years is something that you you rarely see, right? Yeah. Like you see that many guys drafted from a defense over you know a couple of years fans, but for five to all end up on the same team, it's kind of crazy how that uh. How did all play? How did all just played out between Thursday and uh, Saturday? So let's get him right into it and talk about those Eagles, right? Like I said, Eagles made a lot of moves during during draft weekend as they moved up in round one, swapping spots with the Chicago Bears and also giving them, I think, a day three pick, I think, mm-hmm. from twenty twenty four to take Jalen Carter out of Georgia, and then later in the first round they took. Oh, a lot of people thought they might have took at ten. And Nolan Smith at the end of the first round, they overall they spent five draft picks on defense, which was something that me and you talked about off the podcast. But just when we were, you know, even doing our free agency shows and things like that, like knew that 
after years of the Eagles spending a lot of draft capital on offense, they were going to revert and spend it on defense, which they did. They also drafted uh, Sidney Brown out of Illinois, and then they got a defensive lineman from uh, from Texas, Moro Ojomo from Texas in round seven. Then they also spent the two other picks on offense because you know they had to, but they weren't on running back on wide receiver. Who Many people thought the Eagles probably went there. Instead, they get the quarterback Tanner McKee out of Stanford and another offensive lineman from the University of Alabama started his career at Vanderbilt. And SEC guy, Tyler Steen, will be a new addition to Stoutland uh, University for the Philadelphia Eagles. So Harrison, before we like jump into UDFAs and all that other good stuff, just what was your thoughts? And if you had to give a grade, what grade would you give the Eagles on draft weekend? Because I think a lot of people didn't know what they were going to do in the first round. Would they will would Jalen Carter be there? Would they go Nolan Smith? Do you take Peter Skaronsky? Will B John fall to you? Do you move up for B John? Do you take J Mark Jamar Gibbs instead? They get the two Georgia defensive linemen at the beginning and at the end of the at the end of the first round to book in their uh, day one in the draft. Yeah, you look at that part of it, you love that part of it. You add in Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. I don't think many people had that mocked up or envisioned, mostly because the idea was that, in theory, those guys probably should have went a little bit higher. You know, Jalen Carter, obviously there were some concerns. He falls to nine. The Eagles move up one pick to get him. You mentioned it. Only having to give up a day three pick next year to move up and get Jalen Carter. I like the idea of that. Similar to DeAndre Swift, they only had to give up that day three pick to get DeAndre Swift. You love when, when trades work out like that. It seems like Howie Roseman kind of has a knack for finding trades like that where there, maybe there's some low-hanging fruit, a situation where a team has to get rid of DeAndre Swift. They just drafted Jamar, Jameer Gibbs. you know. So now you have to trade DeAndre Swift. So I, I think looking at it from that perspective, adding in Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith, definitely a home run in that aspect of it. I think the draft was a little bit top-heavy. You know, I, I like the Tyler Steen and the Sidney Brown pick. Those are two solid players. I think Sidney Brown in particular – is going to contribute early on special teams and, and compete in a crowded safety room, you know, but it's not a solidified or answered safety room really outside of Edmonds, you know, Reed Blankenship an undrafted free agent last year probably is coming in maybe as the starter, but Kevon mm-hmm. Wallace is in there competing. Now you've got Sidney Brown competing as well. You know, a, a mid round pick this year, a guy who should be in that mix. So I think overall it's a solid class. I think the Eagles have done a pretty good job these past, three or four years in particular, putting together solid classes. We talked pre-show about this. It really seems like even their draft picks and undrafted free agents, the Eagles kind of have a player profile they like. They're signing and drafting a lot of these guys from bigger schools, a lot more proven players, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, two of the most proven players in the draft class. What, you know, what's the floor for them? What's what's the lowest they're going to be? Jalen Carter, an interior disruptive presence, a guy who's really physical and tough to stop on the inside. Someone that, He's going to command double teams, command a lot of attention. Nolan Smith, a really athletic edge rusher, a guy with a lot of traits, a guy whose combine performance looked more like a receiver than a defensive <laughs> right. lineman. You know, so what, what's the you know what's the worst possible outcome? And you look back to last year, what's the worst possible outcome for Jordan Davis, a six foot six, three hundred and you know fifty plus pound defensive tackle who runs a, a sub like four eight forty, and then Nicobe Dean, the starting middle linebacker. On Georgia's defense, we what, you know what's the lowest possible outcome for these players. So I think they really have a player profile that they like now with the Eagles front office. Yeah, they definitely do, and specifically those Georgia players, right? Let's 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 jump into that because last year, like you mentioned, they get Jordan Davis, they get Nicobe Dean. We didn't really see a lot of Nicobe Dean, but we did see a lot more of Jordan Davis, even a lot more in the Super Bowl, which was kind of surprising. Like Jordan Davis was getting the Super Bowl minutes, and I don't think. I mean, Super Bowl snaps, and I'm pretty sure Jordan Davis at the beginning of the rookie season probably wasn't thinking he was going to get Super Bowl, Super Bowl, <laughs> Super Bowl snaps, and now turn around. Fast forward to this year, they get Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and then they come back in the top of day three. Actually, had to move up and you know give out a pick for next year. What next year? Twenty twenty-five, I think. Uh, I might have been twenty twenty-five. Yeah, twenty twenty-five yeah, 2025. moved up for. Keely Ringo um I think everybody knows about Carter and knows about you know Nolan Smith and how they could fit in or 
like they're rotational guys, right? For this year, you're thinking rotational guys for both on the defensive line that's already stacked, right? With Cobb right. and Milton Williams and Contavia Street and Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, like they're stacked. However, for a guy like Keely Ringo, this is a guy that I think probably a lot of people had a lot of hope for at the beginning of the college football season, but kind of didn't pan out the way for him, especially in the combine where he didn't perform well. Now the Eagles get him in the fourth round. What, how do you, I would say, how do you envision Keely Ringo? Like, do you see him getting any playing time this year or do the Eagles take the Nicobe Dean route, which is using this year as a redshirt year essentially to develop them and, you know, put them on the field in, you know, certain situations, blowouts, things like that. Not really a, a bona fide starter right away in the secondary. That's pretty stacked too. The Nicobe Dean route makes a lot of sense. It's something we've seen the Eagles do defensively. They did it with Davion Taylor before they did it with yep. Nicobe Dean from Colorado, the third round pick. So Ringo taking that type of route with guys like Darius Slay and James Bradbury, obviously locking down the outside of Ante Maddox on the inside. It, it would make some sense if he's pressed into action. I, I think that might be a little bit of cause for concern. That might mean that things went wrong a little bit for the Eagles, whether that was injury or, something else happening. But overall, I think it was a good pick. Like you mentioned, maybe a little bit more hype on him coming into the year, a little bit more expectations coming mm-hmm. off the big, you know, interception to end the national championship game back in uh, 2021 or 2022, but the 2021 season um, to end that national championship game, maybe a little bit more expectations struggled a little bit versus Ohio state this year, taking on that responsibility versus Marvin Harrison, Jr. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Obviously, you know, one of the uh, coming into the 2024 class, the receiving prospect to talk about the top receiver. So obviously you're going to have to give a little bit of a grain of salt in that performance. But I think that's kind of why he was there in the fourth round. I think maybe the Eagles were a little surprised he was there in the fourth round. They went and traded up to get him, you know, having all those Georgia Bulldogs anyway, maybe a little surprised to see him there, you know, early in day three, they moved up to go get him. Um, I I like the pick. I think at some point we could see Ringo as one of those boundary corners, one of those guys starting on the outside. Obviously it's not looking that way on paper, as we start this season, but it's a good depth piece. You can never have too many guys in the secondary. The Eagles have, you know, perennially struggled in the secondary. If you really outside of the past, I guess, two years, really, you know, the Eagles really have struggled before Darius Slay really came in the building. I would say the Eagles struggled particularly at corner. So to add a good young corner, a guy with a proven track record, some success in college, I think it's a good pick for the Eagles. Yeah, Keely Ringo, you mentioned he kinda and we and you mentioned this, right? He fits the 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 prototype or what the Eagles are looking for at corner, right? And it kind of well just in general, but you also look at what they're doing at corner. They have more so bigger corners, um, with the Bradberries who, who with James Bradbury, for example, who is six um who is six one, Darius Slice, six foot, Greedy Williams, who they signed to a one year deal. Six foot two. Obviously, Avante Max is kind of odd man out because he's like five down, five ten, but slot he's a slot. Guy, that makes right. sense. But we're talking about outside boundary guys. Yep. Ringo kind of fits that uh mold where you're talking six two, two oh seven. Um, as Emory Hunt has him in his draft guide, he has him as his eighth rank boundary corner. His player comp is Xavier Rhodes, which I mean, if you're an Eagles fan, if if Keely Ringo in day three becomes anything close to young Xavier Rhodes, then I think you'll you'll take it, right? You love to hear that. You yeah. right, you love to hear that. And some of the things that Emory pointed out, and then free plug here, if you haven't gotten Emory's draft guide, you I mean it's it's loaded with a chock full of like prospect profiles. Like me and Harrison has done like the yeoman's work on like most of these guys, but Emory just blows it out of water with all the prospects. We're talking from all different levels, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, U Sports, like literally like guys that were getting picked up in EDFA not signing from like small schools that me and Harrison never even heard about. Yeah. Emory had him in there. So quick plug, make sure you go get uh, Emory's draft out right now. Uh, but Emory had in his, um, in the guide, he says, strengths for QE Ringo. Very patient player. Out on the perimeter, he's fundamentally sound corner to have great technique. His footwork and ability to press go go hand in hand. He can press both while with his feet and with his quick punch. 
Went on the boundary. He can open up with a quick shuffle turn and stay in fade. Very good length at the position as well, which we pointed out, right? 6-2. Kind of fits what the Eagles like right now at the cornerback spot. Solid in run support. Knows how to abruptly close the draw on the edge. Love to hear that a cornerback is good in run support, that he's not yeah. going to run away from tackle. He's going to actually embrace, you know, stepping up. However, he says area's improvement doesn't always play as explosive as his testing would suggest. Tests much faster than he plays. Not overly springy corner with fluid hips. He's not able to get a hand on a receiver. Any in-break and roll or comebacks, it'll take him a few steps to come out of his back pedal or phase. And can be type hip if pressed to flip them suddenly. We're looking at a guy that was 2021 freshman All-SEC and 2022 second-team All-SEC. So, I mean, not bad accolades for the uh, for, for Ringo, who, like we said, didn't have the best combine, which kind of, sent his stock down a little bit. But again, for an Eagles team that you're not looking for him to start right now because you have Slay and Bradbury locked up, you're thinking about this is a potential, this potential future move. This is a future move that you're not looking for him to start right away. But if you can get him up to speed and get him where you need to be, he could be a playmaker for you maybe in the next couple of years. Definitely. And as great as Darius Slay and James Bradbury have been, they're both, you know, corners that are in their 30s at this mm-hmm. point. They're both guys that are older and we know how it is in the NFL. It can kind of go quick at the cornerback position from an elite great corner to, you know, on that older side of things. So to get Kaylee Ringo in here, to get a younger guy in here, I, I like the idea of it. I think there's some things that he'll need to polish, but I, I think it's a good spot for him to do it. Like you mentioned, a spot where he can sit for a little bit and how you mentioned, he, he fits their mold. The Eagles signed two undrafted free agents, and I know we're going to talk about this le- later. Eli Ricks and Makai Gardner also in that six foot two range. It, it really is what they like on the outside. They like those bigger body, you know, longer rangy corners. And I think Keely Ringo really fits that. It's going to be that boundary corner for them in, in the future, kind of replace James Bradbury in that mold whenever that time comes. So, and it works out well, you know, with five Georgia Bulldogs on the defense, it, it's a good fit for. Ringo, he's joining a defense with a lot of familiar faces. There's going to be some natural, you know, cohesiveness to that mm-hmm. defense with a lot of guys who have played together, a lot of guys who just kind of know each other, good for the locker room chemistry. Um, I, I definitely like how that played out. We've seen it, you know, with the quarterback and receivers a lot. You know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, um, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith even, you know, two Alabama guys at one point in their careers. So we've seen it on that end. I, I like the idea of it for the Eagles defense. Yeah, if you're the Eagles, like you said, more cohesion, the better. Yeah. All you guys are, you know, grew up together in college and now playing a pro together can only mean good things, like you said, with Ringo, right? It's it's more so, like you said, Slay and Bradbury getting up there in age. Eventually, you do have to start thinking about the future. And if he turns out, then that's, you know, really good. Um, and speaking of the UDFA class, why not? Let's jump into it, right? <laughs> Eagles. They didn't make a ton of signings in the UDF, UDFA uh, mark uh, period, which is a little bit shocking because as Eagles as Eagles fans, he would have watched Eagles. You're probably a little bit surprised because they usually go ham on uh, UDFA signings where they load up. But where the current roster is at, with a bunch of young guys after this, you probably don't need um, a ton of a ton of more younger guys added to the fold. But I think they did a great job in who they added to the UDFA core. More so quality over the quantity here for the Eagles. Uh, Jaden Hathaway, wide receiver from Arkansas. Uh, another wide receiver, Joseph Ngata from Clemson. Again, a lot of people thought the Eagles might go wide receiver in the draft, but they obviously thought, hey, we can go get a couple of wide receivers in UDFA so we don't have to spend that draft capital um, there. They also picked up a tight end in Brady Russell, which means it's just going to be a more crowded tight end room. As they have Jack Stoll, Calcaterra, Calcaterra, Gray Calcaterra, yeah, Calcaterra. You have uh, Tyree Jackson, yep. back in the fold. You do have Dallas Goddard, and you have who they signed today after doing this podcast, Dan Arnold. I didn't know Jackson. they signed Dan Arnold. Yes, they did. Yeah, yep. former Panther too. I remember him. Yep, and I believe former Jaguar. Yes. Yeah. Your Jaguar, Dan Arnold. Well traveled. Okay, I didn't know that. Tight end room's a little bit stacked right now, but that's okay. That's okay. Tight end room stacked with the addition of Dan Arnold. They also signed the offensive tackle Trevor Reed out of Louisville. They get a linebacker, Ben Van Summerin. Yeah, it's a tough last name, but yeah, good player. They get a punter, 
Tyler Zetner have have Aaron step off with a little bit shaky last year. So we're looking like they're bringing a competition here at punter. And then last but not least, like Harrison mentioned, at cornerback, they bring in Makai Garner from LSU and Eli Ricks from Alabama. Again, Harrison, second year in a row, Eagles go and spend at cornerback. Last year was Josh Job and Mario Goodrich were like the top headliners at DB. Now they turn around and get Eli Ricks and Makai Gardner, who a lot of people, college football fans, are very familiar with on their roles on their two respective teams in in Alabama and LSU, who were pretty good last year despite not being in the playoffs. Still very good teams that had some players getting – Moved on to Sundays, and the are two guys that the Eagles are banking on. Maybe they can get something out of. Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned, they kind of have a profile of guys they like. You know, Eli Ricks played at Alabama this year, started his career at LSU in 2020, was second team All SEC, had four interceptions on the year as a true freshman, was a true freshman starting in the SEC, really had a strong season. Then in 2021, dealt with a shoulder injury, transferred to Alabama, only played in five games there this year before missing the rest of the season with an injury. I think that, like like I mentioned for Healy Ringo, a guy who's six foot two, kind of fits the Eagles' mold, is going to compete with the likes of Josh Job and Goodrich. It's a little bit of a crowded cornerback room, especially with those younger guys. So, but Ricks, like I mentioned, that first team all or second team all SEC during his first season at LSU, and then playing at Alabama, just being in that SEC level of competition, you like the idea of that. And then Makai Gardner, corner at LSU, transferred there from Louisiana Lafayette, transferred after. Billy Napier took the job at Florida this year. Makai Gardner mm-hmm. joined the SEC as well. Went to LSU. Another guy, six foot two, fits that mold this year. Eight pass breakups. And then you mentioned Trevor Reed, Jovan, Louisville's left tackle. Started there for two years. Protected Malik Cunningham. Helped clear the way for that offense and explosive offense overall. You like that? There's a guy with some experience, offensive tackle experience, joining the mix there. Joins in with Tyler Steen. That's two solid young rookies, guys for. Stoutland to work with and mold and, and try to develop. Trevor Reed has practice squad written all over him. That would make a lot of sense for the Eagles. That's the type of guy they keep on their practice squad. And week nine, week 10, if there's some, you know, small minor injury, someone's got a little ankle sprain, is going to miss a few weeks, you promote Trevor Reed up to the roster. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And then how about Jaden Hazelwood, a guy you mentioned, wide receiver at Arkansas, but then also caught some passes from Jalen Hurts back at Oklahoma in 2019, mm-hmm. obviously. Not to the likes of that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase relationship or even Hurts and Devontae Smith. But, you know, there's some history there. There's some natural, you know, chemistry that, you know, Hurts just understands his routes maybe a a little bit more than just another, you know, undrafted free agents would have been. So, like you mentioned, maybe not the most undrafted free agents, but it's a lot of guys who fit what the Eagles like. A lot of guys with the, you know, Eagles like to do. Yeah, no, most definitely. You're right about that. Um, we're looking at these guys, right? Eli Ricks and Makai Gardner. Again, going back to Emory's draft guy, which I just love pulling from. Uh, Makai Gardner, his 18th ranked boundary corner um, in this year's class. Some of the things he spotlighted on. Solid all-around game. Big physical corner who can press really well and hold his own in man-to-man coverage, which you like to see because the Eagles, even with Jonathan Gannon, they weren't really much a zone team. They were really man you up with the two boundary guys, like, and if anything, over-the-top safety help. So you don't got to worry about that with Makai Gardner, smart football player who can communicate constantly and could even develop into a safety as a pro if need be. Could benefit him to stay on this. Could be another way for him to keep, stay, to keep a job on the roster as the Eagles' safety position is a little bit in flux right now yeah. with uh, Blank, with not Blank, with CJ Gardner-Johnson going to the Lions, and um and Marcus Epps going to the Raiders. Don't know how to actually the safety battle is going to kind of figure itself out. Gardner likely won't factor into that, but just knowing that he could develop into that is a plus for him and for the plus for the Eagles. And also very good in man heavy schemes, but isn't a liability be asked being but isn't a liability if asked to play in heavy in in heavy zone ones and very good side and left to be effective on both sides of the defense, which that is excellent to hear. And when we talk about Eli Ricks, who I just had his stuff up here. Let me see. There we go. Eli Ricks, he was, if Keely Ringo was number eight on the boundary corners list, Eli Ricks was number six on the boundary corners wow. list. Yeah, number six, um, boundary corner, his player comparison, again, 
if Eli Ricks is anything close to this player, the Eagles have themselves a still. We're talking Marlon Humphrey wow. for a player comparison. Fantastic technique and footwork, very good length and body control, good ball instincts and ball awareness, good overall athleticism and ability for position, and run support shows good form and efforts on attempt on tackle attempts. I mean, I'm just loving to hear that these corners that they're getting in Ricks and Gardner and even, you know, Ringo, guys that can man up on the outside, hold their own, not a, aren't a liability in zone, but can be effective in the run game and when run defense, which I think is huge, right? Because you don't want your corners to just get picked on. And that fact that these guys can hold their own is, is crazy. And he has his scouting grade as a 77. And he has Makai Gardner scouting grade as a 75. And if you want to kind of know what those numbers mean in the grand scheme of things, um, 77 in Emery's book is a solid 79 to 70 is a solid NFL starter. So that if again, UDFA guys, if they do become solid NFL starters for the Eagles, you get the win right there with the depth. Definitely. Anytime you can try to get a UDFA to become any type of contributor on your right. football team, that's a win. You know, that, that's what we saw with TJ Edwards at the middle linebacker position and how valuable that is to get an undrafted free agent to wind up becoming a starter. It's a real game changer. And talking about these corners, you know, if you're loading up Madden and you want to create a corner, well, what would you make him? It's six foot two, six Dude, foot three right. guy who can press man coverage and yeah. lock up a top receiver. And then it's physical in the run game and can lay the, you know, lay a big hit on a running back or, or blow up a screen. Like mm-hmm. that's the type of corner that you would mock up. You know, we we love the five foot nine guys who are tough and scrappy in the slot and, and man up real well and contribute in the run game at their size. Like th- there's a spot in football for that all day. But, you know, it, it just makes sense if you're looking for those outside corners, you know, that six foot two frame, the, those longer guys. We're going to talk about some UDFAs as we move on here. Uh, Rajon Wright was one of my top corners in this class, and he's that six foot two, long, rangy guy, long arms, can get up, impress man coverage, is physical, has the right mentality at the cornerback position. That's really what you're looking for. And Jovan, you, you know this. I, I had Brian Branch mock draft at, at 10 to the Eagles, yep. and a lot of that was because of his ability to play in man coverage in the slot, his position mm-hmm. versatility in the secondary. You mentioned it with Makai Gardner. Maybe he can move over to safety. I could be mistaken here. I think Makai Garner might have took some snaps as like a little bit of a hybrid safety or in the slot. Like I think there is some prior experience there at LSU with that. So, but that's why I was so high on Brian Branch. He's a physical guy, really sound tackler. Um, you know, it kind of gets lost in the fold a lot at, at cornerback and just the secondary as a whole. It's a passing league now. You're looking to stop the pass but right. you have to be able to tackle too i mean right exactly you, you don't want guys to be running past you you got to be able to bring them down on you know those in breaking routes those comebacks because you just can't 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 play ole de- uh, defense and they just on a comeback or in route they go on because you're not making a tackle you know you're not always going to be in coverage it's not right. always just going to be one-on-one man coverage or no. what's your responsibility in zone sit back there get 15 picks this year and mm-hmm. have a great season that That doesn't exist. You're going to have to contribute in the run game, in the screen game. The quick game has continued to become more and more of a prevalent part of the NFL. Just getting the ball out of your hand. Let your playmaker go make plays with these crazy, you know, explosive edge rushers who are running four, three nines like Nolan Smith, you know. (laughs) So you got to get the ball out of your hand quick. You can't have your quarterback back there getting killed by guys who are that athletic. So, you know, that's kind of my take on these corners that the Eagles are getting for the outside. That's kind of the prototypical – NFL cornerback, although guys like Cater Kohu and, and these smaller corners, Miles Bryant with the New England Patriots, a five foot nine, five foot ten guy, like the Avante Maddox here on the yep. Eagles, like those type of corners definitely have a role in the NFL and shouldn't get overlooked yeah. in the draft prospect. Like Clark, Clark Phillips, a really talented corner out of Utah, I believe he fell to the second round this year, or it might have even been later. He he fell further in the draft than he should have, and is in that five foot nine, five foot ten range, like. There's a role for that, and it doesn't just have to be in the slot either. It can be outside as well. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, you know, before we wrap up talking about the Eagles draft and talk, and we look to what happened in the rest of the draft, were you surprised that the Eagles didn't go running back, right? Were you surprised that they didn't draft one? Because I know a lot of people thought they would draft one because of Rashad Penny, but then obviously they end up trading for 
DeAndre Swift, which will give them a nice stack running back by committee. But well, you're still surprised that he didn't draft him, especially with how much we talked about how loaded this was a draft, a loaded of a draft class it was. And even they didn't even sign one as a UDFA. Obviously, they have some guys coming in from mini camp, TJ Cole, our watchtower, uh Baptist, uh Toa Tawu from Nebraska from Nebraska. I want to say he's from Nevada. I don't know why they have Nebraska down here. Nevada. P- PFS had Nebraska. I don't know where they got that one from. So only two running backs they really invited for uh for minicamp and didn't, like I said, didn't sign with any UDFA or draft a running back. Yeah, that's just been the Eagles mold for the past uh, four or five years. It feels like they always go and get someone in the UDFAs or the late mm-hmm. round. So I was surprised, you know, we, we talked pre-show about it. You kind of mentioned to me just the depth of this running back room already, though. You know, I, Kennedy Brooks is still here from Oklahoma. Trey Sermon, a guy who the Eagles liked and, and think, you know, pre-DeAndre Swift trade, they, they thought he could take on a bigger role. Maybe they still do. You know, I, I know that the Eagles really like Trey Sermon. They've said that in some of their press conferences, Sirianni. He came into the league with a lot of expectations. The third-round pick for the 49ers was a popular fantasy name. Back in the day, so a lot of people, I I had Trey Sermon stocks, definitely, in a lot of our leagues. So it's a name people know. So, you know, I think when you kind of mentioned that to me pre-show, that that made a lot of sense. Obviously, the DeAndre Swift trade, he's now the leader of the backfield. He's going to handle a lot of the workload. Rashad Penny mixes in nicely as a good complement to what DeAndre Swift has. And then Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott are now guys who have contributed here. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you kind of explain it to me like that, it made a little bit more sense. But just initially, just looking at the class, it is surprising that the Eagles didn't have a running back just because that's, you know, something they've done so much and had so much success with success with getting those, you know, day three guys or undrafted free agent running backs. Yeah. And that's that's kind of been that's kind of been their That's kind of been their M.O. over yeah. the last, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years. So the fact they didn't do it, that's but again, they're so stacked that running back would be. Mm-hmm. No point right. to even use a roster, use a UDFA spot and that money on a position that they didn't necessarily uh, need uh, to use. This is the Total Sports Live podcast here on your various streaming platforms. And we're talking NFL draft, me and Harrison breaking it all down for you. Before we move on to finish talking about the draft here, uh, one more Eagles new uh, note to point out here. The Eagles did, um, well, not the Eagles, but. Uh, XFL wide receiver Charleston Rambo, who was the first round pick of the Orlando Guardians uh, earlier this year, received an invite to Eagles rookie minicamp. Uh, Rambo, solid player. Um, again, uh, there's a connection here. Oklahoma was actually at Oklahoma with, J- with Jalen Hurts. Finished his college career at uh, Miami. Had a solid season uh, for the Guardians. Came on later uh, for the Guardians as really uh, – as really, uh, what's that? What's that guy? Cody Latimer was mm-hmm. really the top yeah, from Denver. Option. Yep, was their top receiving option. But Rambo did start to make some plays down the stretch. I think he had like over forty something yards receiving. I mean, for over forty plus catches and had at least five touchdowns. So another a young prospect who I think was he was last year's draft class. If I'm not mistaken. Rambo was last year's draft class. I think so. Yeah. So another body. We'll see what we'll see if he can make the cut. Um, through rook, if he, he can make it through rookie minicamp to get on the 90 man roster, and it could benefit him because he just finished playing ball, so he's in, uh, he's in shape coming off of a XFL season. And the fact that he got a rookie, uh, rookie minicamp invite shows that somebody was out there was watching and looking and paying attention to him. So we'll see what happens, uh, with Charleston Rambo, see if he can make it to the next level, which is making it to the 90 man and competing for a spot. Um, in the in the summer and in preseason. Now let's wrap this. Well, not wrap it up. Let's talk about our overall thoughts about the 2023 NFL draft. Harrison, was there anything that stood out to you from the from the draft? Because there was a lot of things that happened during the draft, from the quarterback class to you know to like I said the quarterback class to you know certain guys that we thought would go late go higher than where he eventually fell and even to the point where we have to talk about only one HBCU player drafted and only not a lot of FCS guys drafted at all this year. But what were some things about for you that stood out um about this year's draft? Yeah surprising to only see one HBCU player drafted thought there was 
a number of guys that could have got drafted. I thought Isaiah Land was in yeah. that fourth, fifth round range. Ed Rush yeah. out of Florida A&M. Um, we'll talk about Andre Carter in a little bit, but this is kind of a similar type of trajectory. Isaiah Land, 15-plus sacks back in the 2021 season. This year it was seven and a half sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss. Obviously it's a little bit of a dip, but teams at these levels, you know, these FCS levels and even Army's level, they, you know, you start to realize, you know, that there's an elite edge rusher, there's an elite player on one side of the field. You're going to spend some more attention to him. You're going to put more attention, chip him with tight ends, chip him with running backs. So surprised to see Isaiah Land didn't get drafted. Aubrey Miller, uh, linebacker out of Jackson State, a guy who back-to-back years over 100 tackles this year, SWAC Defensive Player of the Year. A Missouri transfer, um, James Houston, Detroit Lions, sixth-round pick last year, edge rusher, linebacker, wound up outplaying – well, not outplaying, but out sat, you know, had more sacks last year. We'll, we'll say – won't say outplay, but had more sacks last year than Aiden Hutchinson when the season ended. So surprising to see Aubrey Miller didn't get drafted. Like the fit for him, yeah. signing as an undrafted free agent with the Dolphins. I think he could stick there. Um, Cater Kohu, a guy I mentioned when we are talking about – those smaller corners out of Texas A&M Commerce at the time of D2 school wind up sticking with the Dolphins last year as a UDFA, um, started every game, started in the playoffs. So Aubrey Miller, it's a good spot to go to, a team that can use some of those UDFAs. But, yeah, that was surprising to see. Isaiah Bolden, the draft pick to the Patriots. Um, DeJon Warren, a corner out of Jackson State, another guy who you could argue could have got drafted, one of the top JUCO recruits in the country. Back in 2019, Lackawanna College picked Jackson State over the likes of Georgia, Tennessee. You know, every big college in the country was looking at DeJon Warren out of Lackawanna College. So he's with the Bears now. You know, we'll see if these guys can can latch on. Hopefully they can make it work from the UDFA spot. Like I mentioned, guys like Kohu, Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick. Like these late-round UDFA guys, there's more and more opportunities. And there's more and more talent spread across various levels of football now. Another thing you mentioned not too many FCS guys drafted. Some guys were drafted. Cody Malk, Tucker Craft, you know, the Dakota guys, they had a lot of buzz. They got drafted early. Um, McClendon Curtis went undrafted. Guy out of Tennessee, Chattanooga. So some of those offense alignments, some of those tight end got drafted. Um, great to see Yosevas get drafted. Mentioned that mm-hmm. earlier as we started yeah. the show to the Bengals in the sixth round out of the FCS ranks. And a lot of those FCS guys got undrafted free agent looks and mini camp looks, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, listen, it kind of contradicts what I was just talking about a few minutes ago with the Eagles profile. You know, they like these guys from bigger schools and, and yeah. more established schools, Alabama, Clemson's. That winds up hurting guys from the FCS yeah. ranks, from the HBCU ranks, from the D2 ranks. I, I haven't heard of any D3 prospects this year. You know, we've been yeah. in, in the weeds for a while. I mean, I, I mean, unless we're missing some guys, I'm sure they're out there. You know, I'm sure they're going to many camps and signing with USFL teams and arena teams across the country but you know just haven't heard many d3 names this year so uh, I, I think that's one thing but you know as we move to some of those bigger names i think the quarterbacks as we look at this quarterback class generally speaking it played out how it was supposed to you know especially with those top three looking at bryce young going to carolina cj stroud a lot of buzz pre-draft that cj stroud might not go to right. they wanted an edge rusher and you know cj stroud the s2 scores whatever that means you know, the S2 scores are bad and all that, you know, a, a good lesson for the draft process. You know, the, the buzz that happens in, in the 10 days prior to the draft, if, if you're hearing something April 15th on that you haven't been hearing since August, you know, it, it might not be the best thing to listen to. You know, we, we get caught up in that every year with Twitter and, you know, these TV shows and all that. But CJ Stroud at two to the Texans made a lot of sense. And then Anthony Richardson at four to the Colts made a lot of sense. I think he fits really well with Shane Steichen and that offense, what they like to do, not just because of, you know, you look at what Jalen Hurts did last year, but you also go back to Steichen's days with the Chargers, the success he had with Justin Herbert, a big arm passer who likes to throw the ball downfield. That sounds like Anthony Richardson. That sounds like right. what Anthony Richardson did at Florida. So I really like that fit. Will Levis to the Tennessee Titans, a bit surprising. You know, we had heard that a lot, that the Titans maybe were looking to move up. The Titans were really interested in Levis in that day two range, and then they traded up to go get him. It's just surprising because, you know, myself in particular, Malik Willis w- was my number one quarterback last year, ahead of Kenny Pickett, who I was also a big fan of, a Jersey guy. But Malik Willis was my number one quarterback in last year's class. I had him mocked in that first round range. I was surprised when he fell to the third round. You know, I, I get that he played at Liberty. Maybe it's not the level of competition people want. 
But I thought with his athleticism, his arm, you know, the talent that he had, I thought he had a lot of upside for the NFL. This year with Tennessee, I, I don't feel like they tailored the offense around Malik Willis. I feel like they put him in some really tough spots, didn't give him the opportunity to really succeed, had him only throwing the ball 14, 15 times a game, didn't really get him going on the ground, didn't really tailor things to what he liked to do. So to see them move up, to spend that day two pick on Will Levis, Will Levis, it's a bit surprising. I'm not out on Will Levis as a pro quarterback. I think he's a guy with a big, strong arm, a compact throwing motion, had some real moments in 2021 in particular where he really did look like a strong NFL prospect. Just a bit of a surprising fit. It really wasn't my positional need for the Titans. I think they have a lot of other things they could have addressed. They hadn't addressed receiver at that point in the draft. Um, their defense could still use a little bit more polishing. So it wasn't my favorite pick overall, but I think Will Levis could fit in that Titans offense and do some good things with Derrick Henry, Traylon Burks. Like There's some talent there that he mm -hmm. could have a nice career, but just wasn't where I would have went. Yeah, no, and I want to – hit on some of the points that you brought up and why not start it going back to the quarterbacks, right? And the Levis selection, like you said, very puzzling decision, just because again, we, and I, I personally feel like the Titans sabotaged Malik Willis and not really when he was caught in the duty, not really developing him for the situation, being ready. And also not even, not even, I won't even say developing them, right? But more so just game planning the offense around him, right? I didn't feel like they did the due diligence to make the game simple for him, right? I didn't see where, you know, because the Titans are really not a new age style of offense, if you get what I'm saying, like with read options, RPOs, things like that. Like they're more so under the center type of team, which is cool, but. I understand you got Derrick Henry, but eventually you do have to develop your young, young quarterback because then it looks horrible when you're in playoff positioning for a division that you had, you know, AFC South to AFC South to the point where you went out and go and went and go sign a veteran quarterback for the last two weeks of the season to make a playoff push. Like, what does that what does that say to your fan base, number one, but also says to the young quarterback that you drafted in the third round fan, like you're basically almost giving up on them at that point. Like we don't trust you enough in the situation when it should fall down to the coaches to put him in that situation to succeed. And I feel like they didn't necessarily do that. Now we're expecting them to potentially do the same thing with Will Levis. Like, are they going to, are, are, are they going to do that with Levis? Because again, I don't understand adding Levis to this situation when, Again, you 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 didn't show last year that you could fairly develop Malik Willis. Now you're going to put Levis in a situation where it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, only thing I got, only thing I could think of something close to this is what like Cousins and RG three, yeah, like closest one of like this time the thing uh, happening. But RG three had a pedigree, right, coming right. out of Baylor. Malik Willis, a pedigree out of out of Liberty, you know, really good quarterback. Will Levis. Solid quarterback out of Kentucky and SEC, but again, I don't trust the Titans to develop Malik Willis and Levis. I just don't see it because it, like I said, it's it does it. it the drafting of Levis more so does a disservice not only to him but a disservice to Malik Willis because again, what are you telling Malik Willis at that point? Like, hey, we we drafted you in round three, but now we're going to turn around drafting in round two. Like, what did Will Levis do in the draft process or even what you saw in Kentucky that made you say, yeah, he's the guy. And I guess we'll, like, figure that out during preseason and training camp and see how that battles out. I think more so the preseason games, I think, is going to be the real eye test to see if Malik Willis can kind of really make the point and stand like, hey, like, do not forget about me um, in this equation. And, you know, going back to the – um HBCU FCS uh role um talking point there again something else that was mad puzzling right from an FC from an HBCU HBCU's perspective but also from an FCS perspective because a lot of football fans they just focus on P5 group of five anything that's on ABC CBS ESPN ESPN2 right they're really not focusing on anything else and the fact that you only have 10 to 11 FCS players, which only includes one HBCU player drafted in a seven in seven rounds of the NFL draft, two hundred fifty nine picks. That don't 
that that doesn't sit right with me just because and maybe this is me maybe this is because it's us we see football differently we know there's more talent out there than just what's you know being shown in the primetime window the 3 30 on a saturday and 7 7 30 on a saturday right there's more talent out there but these guys aren't necessarily getting the benefit of the doubt where we're now seeing all these guys being like you like we mentioned right udfa minicamp guys when they shouldn't be right a lot of these guys shouldn't be Isaiah Land should not be a UDF a UDFA signing. Yeah. Lindsey Scott should not be a UDFA. <laughs> he should not be a UDFA signing at all. Um, there's so many guys that I can think of off the top of my head, right? Mark Evans, who had a lot of buzz coming out of Arkansas Plum Buff, should not been, you know, a, a UDFA signing. Uh, Xavier Smith, who really blew up. At the at the at at you know at, at the legacy bowl and then just performance bowl on the HBCU combine, it should not been a, a UDFA based off of just not what he did there, but also just the just also what he was able to do at, at Florida AM, which is probably one of the best HBCU football programs out here, but also one of the better FCS programs out here. Yep. And talking about in general FCS where the Rattlers are actually competing for playoff spots in, you know, and if they're not playing the celebration, Bowl, which they haven't been, they've been in the FCS playoff a couple of times. So to see that and, you know, to see the lack of small school guys not get, a, not get an opportunity, it bothers me because I feel like these guys do deserve a shot. They do deserve a chance to, you know, play in the NFL. But I also think this is what, is also you know great for leagues like the XFL, the USFL, CFL, for these guys to get a legitimate shot to go play, right, and not fight for UDFA spot. You know, can go into an XFL or USFL, right, and get you know and get playing time, right. We see a lot of guys, and we were going through the list right before the show, saying like this guy was a USFL draft pick, you know. Darius Hagens, who I think is a UDFA signing, but he was assigned, you know, Virginia State running back. He was signed, you know, he was a US, USFL draft pick. Um, you know, Chase Bright, Chase Bryce, you, you minicamp guy, but also USFL draft pick. Malik Ham, USFL draft pick. Isaiah Land, USFL draft pick. You know, uh, Keenan Isaac, I think. Keenan Isaac, Benny yeah. Sapp. You know, the list goes on and on. Truman Jones, like all these guys, small school guys, are USFL draft picks, but they're not NFL draft picks. And I get it. The NFL, you're talking about the 1% of the 1%, right? You're talking about the money. But I I think for me personally, I just want to see these guys, you know, if the NFL is not going to give them an opportunity, give them a chance that they do decide to, you know, take the other route of, you know, exploring these leagues and getting a chance to really, you know, get those reps, get those playing times, whether that be XFL, USFL, CFL, even in arena ball, like go get your reps, go get your snaps. That's the only way you're going to be able to do anything out here, you know, get those reps, get that game film, you know, don't be content with just trying to compete for a rookie minicamp spot when it's not guaranteed that you'll even make it through the weekend, you know, to get to the potential 90 man to get signed. So, those are the things that just bother me. And just to piggyback on one thing before we, you know, wrap up with best UDFA fits. Uh, for me, um, seeing Malik Cunningham go undrafted over a guy like Sean Clifford really annoyed me for some reason because Sean Clifford, like, no disrespect. <laughs> he was a okay quarterback, but he wasn't nothing great at Penn State, right? Like, yeah, he, he, he was he was mid, if I'm going to be honest. He was mid. And I don't, I, I did not see him being drafted, right? And to see him going fifth round to the Packers at that, oh, he, he might have got drafted over over DTR, if I'm not mistaken. He same might've round, got, I don't know where yeah, it was, but he, he, yeah, same round. But to, to see him get drafted over a guy like Malik Cunningham, who, yeah, granted, he doesn't have the gaudy pass numbers like you know Bridgewater and you know Lamar coming out of Louisville, right? But we're talking, remember, we're talking about schools, right? Louisville has produced two NFL quarterbacks, including an NFL MVP at quarterback Malik Cunningham goes undrafted. I mean, he gets picked up for the Patriots, which is great, but 
I don't know how that works for the Patriots because they had did the same thing with De'Ara King and that didn't work out because they wanted to switch them back to positions. And now De'Ara King is flourishing in the USFL at his natural position. And you see the report that I literally just caught wind of today, just looking up stuff on Malik Cunningham and the Patriots. It's reportedly open to switching positions. And you got NFL executives saying like, yeah, I see him better as a wide receiver. It bugs me to hear that too, because it's like Malik and me and you, again, me and Harrison talked about this many times and, even, you know, off air, you know, when we were talking about cutting him, I think last week during the draft when he was like, when I said to him, like, if he don't get drafted, it's the best bet to go to USFL and get those reps as a quarterback. And like you mentioned to me before, and I forgot about this, right? You mentioned like, hey, he did say he doesn't want to be there. But if I'm Malik Cunningham, and this is just me, I'm not switching positions when I know I can play the game as a quarterback. And if I have an opportunity in the USFL to get reps, to get film as a quarterback for one of the best teams in the USFL, a defending champion that's doing things with their quarterbacks. They did a lot with Jamar Smith. They're doing a lot with Alex Magoo right now. We saw Jalen Morton get into the game last uh, last week out of Prairie View A&M get into the game as well. I think he went to Prairie View. Maybe somebody can check me on that. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of puzzling for me. So, yeah, that's – yeah, that's my soapbox. That's my soapbox on this. Yeah, Malik Cunningham, you know, I, I had him as my sixth-ranked quarterback in this class. I've been high on him throughout the process. You know, you kind of mentioned some of the passing numbers. I think some of that is this year. He missed some time with a concussion and, and just missed some time overall. I think there, hurt. Was another, there was another injury as well, I believe. Yeah, I, I think he had the concussion, and then I believe he either missed time or sustained another injury and might have played through it. But you look at some of his other numbers, he's leaving you, uh, Louisville really as their number two offensive player in a lot of the all-time categories, you know, behind Lamar. Even Which had a Teddy. lot of quarterbacks. Right, that kid with a lot of quarterbacks. Lamar, Teddy, I mean, Brian Brown. I mean, come Brian on, Brown, man. They, right. You know, you, you look at that offense, too, what Louisville did. A, a lot of the highlight clips and probably what people have, have seen of Malik Cunningham on Twitter and things like that are going to be the runs. But a lot of really challenging throws, a lot of opposite hash throws, a lot of – downfield mm-hmm. throws, a lot of out routes, a lot of tight window throws over the middle of the field. Like there's a lot of upside with Malik Cunningham in the pocket as a pure passer. And, and it's something we see a lot with quarterbacks. They try to move them different positions. One of my favorite quarterbacks in the draft process early in my days, really watching a lot of these guys was Quentin Flowers at a USF. USF's all-time leader in yep. basically every offensive category, every passing category there is, every you know quarterback rushing category there is, had some unbelievable college games where it's six or seven touchdowns. You know, the Bengals initially bring him into camp. They move him to running back. Tampa Bay has him in the XFL. They've got him in a quarterback competition with Taylor Cornelius. They're giving a lot of reps to Cornelius. You know, it's disappointing to see when these quarterbacks don't get an opportunity to play the position that they're naturally best suited for. And we even saw it with Lamar Jackson coming out in that 2018 class. You know, the, the questions, how would you feel about playing receiver? You know, more like a running back, you know, these types of, you know, narratives and, and, you know, portrayals that the media puts out and, and just people in football in general put out, it, it's really a disservice to a group of really talented quarterbacks, guys that can play the position at a high level, can make talented deep field throws, and then also be an athletic quarterback that can make people miss in the open field, can really be dynamic in the red zone. And that's where I'm going to look on the bright side for Malik Cunningham with this fit with New England. I think if they were to properly use him, as a red zone type of quarterback to supplement Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, whoever it winds up being later on in this season, a quarterback, if they can use Malik Cunningham in the red zone to complement that, because they get down there a lot. The Patriots use that yeah. short, you know, quick hit offense, hand the ball off, try to, you know, just chunk off, get five yards here, five yards there. They wind up in the red zone a lot. In theory, Malik Cunningham brings something they've never had in the red zone. That so is true. That would be Cam, how I would look Cam at it. Newton. Yes, yes, that's a great point. Since Cam Newton, they did have it that year with Cam Newton. And that was a big part of Cam Newton's success in New England. That's a great point. I honestly completely forgot about the Cam Newton COVID year in New England, how much success he had in the red zone. So that would be how I would look to use Malik Cunningham early in his career. Like you mentioned, the USFL would be a great fit for him if he was looking to develop some reps. I think that's a great league for young quarterbacks in general. They kind of tailor their game a little bit more in their roster building a little bit more towards those young quarterbacks. So that would be a great fit for Malik Cunningham. I'm looking forward to seeing how his NFL career plays out. I think it's a guy with 
a lot of really unique traits. In my opinion, was the best athlete in the quarterback class. I know Anthony Richardson at 6'4", 240 is a really unique athlete and, and all those types of things. You know, it's really two different type of players. But when you look at just Malik Cunningham's speed on the field, I, I think he was the best in the class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Speed at the quarterback position, yeah, definitely a crazy, uh, just outstanding playmaker. And hopefully, hopefully we'll see what he can do with the Patriots as a quarterback. But if not, hey, Malik. It's always a spot for you in the, in the, in the USFL. They yeah. do have your draft rights. So, I mean, there is an opportunity for not only for him, but for all the guys right there, UDFAs that, you know, were drafted in the USFL, even if you don't get the NFL shot, right? And then I think this is so great for what the USFL did with their inaugural first player, your first year player draft, you know, drafting those players to give them almost inadvertently a safety net. Like, hey, you guys don't, can't you know if you guys don't make it or whatever we do have an opportunity for you and and actually actually there have been some guys that were part of this year's draft class not highly rated or anything that didn't even get drafted or didn't even worry about their draft they went ahead and just signed into usfl because you see the opportunity right get the reps get the playing time start your pro career early so right hey we'll see what uh We'll see what happens uh, there for Cunningham and for all those guys, right? FCS, HBCU players, quarterback class um, in general. And before we wrap here on the podcast, got to talk about best UDFA fits. We wrote down just a few names on our list um, and so many more. Like I said, me and Harrison went through the list and it was just so, again, so many UDFAs and the teams that they're on where they could make could make not only a 90 man but you know could stick on a 90 man obviously but could make a push for that 53 game 53 man game day roster uh harrison just quickly you know before we wrap who are some guys that you know think are in a good situation as a udfa yeah i was a big fan of andre carter i mentioned him when we were talking about isaiah land the guy who really had a big 2021 performance i like that signing for the vikings i think that's an nfl caliber pass rusher six foot six frame Production in college should have been a draft pick. Um, Rajon Wright, a guy who you know, Jovan, I've been high on throughout this process. I think I mentioned him a little bit ago when we were talking about those six foot two corners, Eli Ricks, and those types of guys. Uh, Rajon Wright is one of those types of guys. I think he pairs really well with JC Horn, physical type of guys, and then Dante Jackson in the mix there as well. We talked about Malik Cunningham. Malik Ham, a guy who I've been a big fan of, the Lafayette defensive end, outside linebacker. Really talented pass rusher, leaves Lafayette with 32 sacks. Also love his versatility to be a true outside linebacker, not just a guy who gets after the quarterbacks, can line up and cover the slot, contribute in that type of role. So love that. We didn't mention when we were talking about some of these HBCU guys that could have and should have got drafted. Shaq Davis, receiver out of South Carolina State, 29 receptions, over 600 yards this year. Uh, do the math which is, there. Which is, which is a crazy split. Yeah, right. <laughs> do the math there. That's a, that's a deep threat. And coming in at six foot four, having those types of numbers, uh, a lot of upside. And then Jadakiss Bonds. You mentioned Xavier Smith. One of, your, one, of your fa- one of your favorite guys. He was. Xavier Smith and him, very different receivers, very different frames. Two really complete receivers, though, and guys that were super productive for a long period of time at their schools. So those were two that I was a big fan of. Uh, Jadakiss Bonds went to the 49ers. I think I might have Miss Malik Ham. Malik Ham went to the Ravens, and then Shaq Davis went to the Saints. Truman Jones, Harvard DN, going to the Chiefs. Um, Dyrick Pitts, Delaware receiver, going to the Bears. Another guy who was super productive. I could go all night. I- I'll wrap here with two offensive tackles going to Denver. Henry Henry Bird at a Princeton. I mentioned it with Yosevas. Yo- you know, cover Princeton. Watch a lot of Henry Bird. Their left tackle, really consistent guy. And then Alex Palchuski, another guy. I mean, you want to talk about consistency? A guy with 713 consecutive snaps to finish his college career without allowing a sack and a big 10 record, 65 starts, two offensive tackles, maybe swing guards joining the Denver Broncos. I think that is going to be important for their offensive line moving forward. Yeah, most definitely. And all those names, right? I think all those names we're going to be definitely looking out for to see how they do in mini camp, especially Shaq Davis. Cause I think he, I think he got one of the more noticeable higher guarantee Dills as a UDFA. It's a crowded room for him in New Orleans. Yes, I, I was looking at that New Orleans room. Keith Kirkwood is back there, a Temple, guy. Temple guy. Yeah, a Temple guy who who's back there now. And then they drafted A.T. Perry, who's six foot five, coming out of Wake Forest. So 
that's a similar type of frame to Shaq Davis. Like those three are going to wind up in a competition. They're all in that bigger body, taller target type of guy. Like, and there's only so many spots there. You know, the Saints have a crowded room in general. So, yeah, a lot, lot of, lot of comp, a lot of competition. Yeah, there is. There is a lot of comp there. A lot of competition. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, UDFA fits for me. Xavier Valaday out of Arizona State. Uh, from Arizona State, he uh, signed a deal with the Texans again. He's almost like Shaq Davis. I like the player in Valaday. I think you know. To me, I envision an RB two right away with just the way that he runs, just the way that he runs the ball. He doesn't really do a lot of dancing. Really hits the whole north south, you know, runner physical, physical running, physical running back. Also, what I do like and what I love in all my running backs, if they can, if they can, if they can, you know, catch the ball at the backfield. And he did that pretty good on the ASU team that really wasn't great at all, yeah. <laughs> offensively in general. But like we talked about with Shaq Davis in a crowded room in in Houston where you have Damian Pierce, Devin Singletary, who I forgot is in Houston. I totally forgot. I forgot about that, too. Devin Singletary there. They also have Mike Boone, who is like oh, wow. my favorite running back to pick up on Madden. Yeah, former Bengal. Former Viking. He didn't play for the – he did play for the Vikings. He's the Viking. Too many draft names. Too many names. The names are all swirling. Yeah, it's <laughs> – Right. <laughs> So we got Mike Boone, and then we have Dare Ogumbawale, who is the who is the brother to Dallas Wings guard Arike Ogumbawale. I know. Yes, the more you know. So yeah, crowded room, <laughs> crowded, crowded room uh, for Valaday. But the fact that he got signed as a UDFA, that's only can mean good things. If he can't, I mean, honestly. I think there's a chance he could beat out Ogumba Wale and Boone for that third running back spot. Obviously not beating out Singletary for two. But I think there is a pathway for him to at least be running back three and be on the active roster. And if we know one, if, 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 if with D'Amico Ryan's coming from San Francisco and I think his offense coordinator is also from San Fran, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yep. Bobby Slovak. And, and knowing how they use running backs and multiple running backs, maybe there's a chance. We do get a little holiday action um, with just knowing how San Fran rotates like three to four different, three to four different, you know, running backs um, in their backfield. And then for me, uh, last guy, we talked about him um, not too long ago, uh, Xavier Smith. I think this is a, I mean, you talk about perfect fit. The Los Angeles Rams depth chart. Talk about a team that needs young, talented players, playmakers. He fits the bill here. You look at their wide receiver room, it's really in trouble, Harrison. If you were doing a Madden franchise with this team, you would be signing players too on this depth chart because they got Cooper Cup, they got Van Jefferson, who's really turned into an an excellent player uh, for where he was drafted. But we're talking about after that, we're talking Ben, ben Skoranek. We're talking Tutu Atwell, who surprisingly got some playing time last year. Out of necessity, but we did see some tutu for a guy. We're, you talk about a guy on the smaller side. I mean, he's on the smaller side of like what 165 or something like that, five nine. He's a small wide receiver. Uh, they also got Lance McCutcheon, who was kind of like the star um of the preseason last year, if I'm not mistaken. Braxton Burmeister is also on this roster. Um, from I think he was the former, I think he was the former quarterback at Virginia Tech, then he switched to wide receiver, I think. To San Diego State, I think. Don't hold me to it. Uh, Puka uh, Nakua, Tyler Hudson, Austin Trammell, and Xavier Smith. So ESPN does have Xavier Smith on this list here. 5'10", 170 out of FAMU. Have him, have him as the third wide receiver behind Skoranek and Austin Trammell. I feel like if Smith can show that same playmaking ability that he did at Florida A&M, and then if he can bring that versatility to maybe special teams, I really think there's a clear path for him because outside of Jefferson and Cup, I feel like wide receiver three, four, five, six is really up for grabs out in LA. Very open, very open. And I think he's gonna fit in well with they do, with what they do out there in LA. A guy who you can get the ball on a quick screen too. He can make people miss in the open field, you know, can yep. contribute in the middle of the field, a shorthanded. Pass catcher. I, I like to fit. I could see him in that four or five role. Puka Nakua from BYU is another nice pickup. Uh, 
taller guy, six foot two. Didn't actually know that they had signed him. I didn't even see that in the undrafted free agent, um, you know, list and stuff. But Xavier Smith heading there, really productive at Florida AM. A guy with over 200 catches. I, like you said, I, I like the fit a lot. I think that's the perfect type of fit for him in that UDFA range. Yeah, definitely perfect fit. So we're going to see how it all pans out here, not only for the Eagles, but for all the guys that we talked about as we put the final bow and wrap on the 2023 draft class. Now it's on to the 2024 class. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, Shador Sanders maybe are up next. John Reese Plumley is up next. John Reese Plumley. I'm all, I'm already going to be too high on him on my board. The, the you know the baseball background, the right. food sport athlete, the mobility, mobility on the field. That's a guy who you know that's a whole other podcast. That's right. a whole other podcast. 2024 Listen, guys. Let's enjoy some baseball podcast. for for a couple weeks here. All right. I'm, I'm all about football. Uh, you know I'll watch as much football you know as humanly possible. All right. But let's enjoy some baseball here. It's May. You know we've got a long road ahead for that 2024 class. You know. College football season in the you know June July range will really start gearing up, but I think it's time to watch some Phillies baseball these next few weeks. Definitely Phillies baseball. The Sixers are still in action. Sixers, yes, yes. Sixers are still in action in the playoffs. Uh, still got the stars in the USFL. So yep. definitely a lot of things to watch out to watch for. CFL season starting them very soon as yes, well. It does. So. A lot of a lot of stuff to watch out and check out before we even dump into 2024. Trust me, folks. There will no be NFL, there will be no NFL draft 2024 uh, podcast coming in the near future. So give us some time. Yeah, give yeah. us some time. <laughs> we will reload, but not yet. Like I said, got a lot of stuff to talk about on Philadelphia sports. Harper eats eat uh right. Embiid, Sixers, a lot of stuff here. But that is gonna wrap up this uh this week's episode other podcasts again really appreciate everybody for tuning in and checking out the podcast as always like i said earlier you can find this podcast on all your available streaming platforms um make sure you download subscribe um leave a review really appreciate it um make sure you're following harrison on twitter at harry brown russo i forgot to have the little screen rolling up too that's all right stuff it's been a minute since we did a podcast right right all out of rhythm so Make sure you follow Harrison on Twitter at Harry Brown Russo. Me on Twitter at Jovan10 at Total Sports Live, totalsportslive.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Harrison's newsletter, harrisonbrownrusso.substack.com. Make sure you go over there right now and subscribe to get all his latest news, newsletters, and musings. And also make sure you're subscribed to his YouTube page, Harrison Brown Russo, on there as well. Hit the subscribe button on there. Watch all his vids that he's done on the draft. A lot of good stuff and more stuff coming always in the near future. So for me and Harrison, everyone have a good one. And we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll come up with something to talk about next week. We'll be back. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. We'll figure it out. Everyone have a good one. We'll talk to you soon.